by the way, we've called it new habits because uh, teams and the new services that are, that are available is, is all about evolving employee working habits. Welcome to the New Habits Podcast, where executives and MVPs from Microsoft Partners discuss the Microsoft Teams application and its use in enterprises. Hello, everybody, and welcome to August's edition of the New Habits Podcast. Wow, there's been a lot going on with Microsoft Teams over the last couple of weeks, and we wanted to take our session today to round up um, the biggest announcements and talking through what some of these announcements might mean to you are my colleagues, Paul Schaeflein. Hi, Paul. Hello. And Wes Hackett. Hello. Okay, guys, we'll get stuck straight in. Um, enhancements to communities uh, within Microsoft Teams. So for those uh, tuning in that uh, perhaps aren't too familiar with this, in our left-hand rail in Teams now, we can actually see our Yammer communities. And from the left-hand panel, we're able to favorite our communities as well as see all of our communities uh, and our inbox uh, as well. So I want to sort of open the first question here with in thinking about whether this is just another step in the journey Microsoft seemed to be taking to uh, organize everything through the Teams UI, or whether we think this is a positive step for communities to the extent that we could view Microsoft Teams as communities of practice. Uh, and so perhaps these broader network communities actually should live alongside um, those uh, Teams capabilities. What do you think, Wes? Well, to be honest, I'm super excited to see this development because I think for the first time um, we're, we're seeing we're seeing rolling rolling Yammer out as uh, you know it's a defunct idea. You know, we're not there to say, hey, we're 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 as a technology team rolling Yammer out. We're now focusing it much more on its use, which is we're deploying communities um, for for various reasons into the organisation that have a wide reach. Um, you know, Yammer has always been positioned as this outer loop kind of aspect, which I've never really sat well in in terms of its pitch. Uh, personally, I thought it was a bit odd to sort of talk about inner and outer loops. I think it was more about conversations and, and the reach of those conversations against what you were doing as a, as a workload and now seeing the community's improvements integrated into into the team's experience gives you a more holistic experience uh, for, for doing work and being supported by those that might share a technical expertise or a uh, you know a business expertise that that traditionally you'd reach for email for so where communities really adds power i think is in in a tab in a particular channel uh, of a team so if you can imagine you're performing a you know project activity and let's say keep keep the examples nice and easy you're you're a project manager you're also a member of a project management community that shares innovative new uh, software and approaches to using um you know task driven um applications and, and and power automate flows and all the kind of things that you do as a as a interest and a diversity group around that particular topic weaving that into where it would be useful 
through the communities app is super super powerful so like seeing this combination now of of of, of project and executable work being woven into to a space that that has great outreach like the conversation threads in yammer you know for me is is, is a really big moment leap forward for, for the value that an organization might see in the yammer platform thanks wes um do you think that there might be confusion within organizations uh, especially by uh, employees and users uh, to the extent that they now have a decision to make um, when they want to uh, coordinate uh, with others as to whether the right thing to do for them is to set up a team or set up communities. Uh, and I'm, I'm asking mainly from the perspective that, that they're both just there in the left-hand rail, aren't they? So do you think this means that um, organizations are going to have to do a little bit more thinking and work around change management and what to use when, that old question? Um, or or, or, or do we think the world is so settled with Microsoft Teams and Yammer now um, that that's, that's possibly a red herring? Well, I think an organization that, that discarded Yammer and focused on deploying communities in Teams really took a misstep. And um, it was very easy because of, you know, historic historic sort of bad feeling towards the Yammer platform and its integration and tightness to the rest of the experience that Teams was the answer to everything. And, and you know, hence why there was some of the requests to get bigger and bigger and bigger teams. But if you think about the the core capabilities of, of, of either platform, um, Yammer is very much about the conversation. You know, all its mechanics, all its its, its experiences are, are th around the thread of the conversation and, and, and engagement between one human being and a group of others. Whereas Teams is content, it's applications, it's a surface area to bring together a digital working experience. It's not the same thing. So I think what I'm seeing now, organizations are not actually struggling with what to use when. What they are evaluating is where is the where is the valuable conversation you know what 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 themes does the valuable conversations happen around is it is it you know well-being diversity and inclusion themes is it um you know skills and expertise is it career growth you know where in the organization is a conversation between two parties adding value that's where they're going after the community's aspect and they're spinning up those kind of elements versus where are we getting day-to-day -day stuff done because if we're getting day-to-day -day stuff done, Teams is an obvious choice. It's almost thrust upon us because it's mainly the communication activities of the IM, the video, the voice, the meetings. It makes sense to also work on files in the same place. You touched upon the fact that um, communities can be really powerful when they are added as a tab within a team and you might have that community supporting the activity being undertaken uh, within that team. Um, I think the thing that certainly we've found has worked really nicely about that is that you, you are working in context, you might be uh, having conversations, you might be co-authoring some documents, and then you might bounce into that community, which is in that tab right there where you are. And, and the, the, almost the feel-good factor comes from the fact it's that one click, it's right there. Um, but of course, the uh, Yammer communities being also now right there in that left-hand rail means it's one click away. So how does, 
how should we be thinking about this now? Because if the benefit before is it's one click, it's in Teams, and now it's one click, it's in Teams, it's in the left-hand rail, should we be thinking of doing away with the idea of tabbing in um, that community content, or do you still think it has something to offer? So I think if we if we think back to when Teams first rolled out and then some of the first podcasts that we've done around this, the idea around Teams is just a group of humans on a focused task. And so a particular community in Yammer may support that task, which makes sense to have it as a tab in that as I'm doing that task. Whereas this Yammer communities app in the left rail really looks to me more like the Yammer homepage, which is all of my conversations happening across the, and throughout the, the whole, you know, outer loop to, to recode, use that term. So I think there's, there's a place for it. And it, again, it get, as you said, it gets back to who uses what, when, but I do see the value there. And, and I think this is a direct response to large organizations or in organizations who have already deployed Yammer. And now they're saying, well, I've got teams open. I have Yammer open. I can flip back and forth. Why don't I bring the apps to where my users are, which is what we talked about again, early days, right? So I think they're, they're, they've seen the light and they're just giving us, think of it as an app that does things, which is all my you know, wide communication. So I see, I, th- I see the value there. But it, but it's interesting if you, you watch the non-clementure change, you know, it's not the Yammer app, all right, it's got the logo and it's, you know, it's still obviously yeah. Yammer in places, but it's communities. So the yeah. position the positioning is now being made correctly. It's this is a conversation area for a community to get, you know, hop around and, and get get aspects of value from a wider reaching conversation. The, the the communities in the left rail is the amalgamation of all the communities that you're a member of. It's your personal view. The tabbed version in the team is is shared for that particular project team. I mean if 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 I was looking at where I'd like to see this stuff go, um, you know, in the channel listing of a team, you know, I would love to be able to inject communities into into that list as if they were channels because you you sometimes want to have a program group, uh, you know, of projects where you've got 10 projects all running in individual project teams teams. Today, some organizations will spin up the 11th team's team, which is everybody, but actually it's much better suited to Yammer because you you, you know you can have a bunch of Yammer communities about that program of work and have them injected. And, and teams have already talked about these kind of sharing of channel ideas. And, and you know, to me, it, we're, we're seeing... We're seeing them finally all coming together as like there is a fabric within Office 365 and the wider ecosystem in, you know, Windows Windows 11 um, forthcoming, which is about conversational connection. And, uh, you know, they're taking these baby steps of, of forward momentum to bring that, that idea that there's a single conversational element across the whole platform happens to sometimes be in one technology versus the other. Um, the Viva Connections apps that we've seen you know, in, in, in prototype form in all of these sort of public presentations, Yammer conversations, Teams conversations, it's in the same app. And I would, you know, I would hazard a guess that, you know, that direction of travel is not going to change. They're going to look at what is the fabric of conversation in, 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 uh, in the ecosystem. And I really wish they would sort out the idea of SharePoint comments because, you know, that's another conversation strip. <laughs> it's not, not worth going down that rabbit hole. But, you know, the, the Yammer gaps at the moment in, in the SharePoint integration, it's the, 
it's the ability to have the conversation at the bottom of a SharePoint page be tied to a Yammer conversation. That web part used to be the embed web part. We can't do it today. We can only grab a group. We can't grab an individual item. And I think that's, that's you know, hopefully a next piece they're going to come along with to, to tie these things together. But it, it, it's, it, it's a really good forward momentum. And I'm seeing huge success with customers that are approaching it from that perspective. It, it certainly is a big step forward, isn't it, to to be able to talk to um, organisations and people embarking on their um, sort of communications journey on, on Office 365 to talk about sites and communities uh, and, um, you know, broadcast rather than Yammer and SharePoint and, uh, it, you know, it, it's an easier conversation because you're suddenly talking about the function rather than the service or the brand name, um, which, of course, uh, you know, when you're talking those terms, the first thing people think is, oh, are we allowed that? And how does it work? And they feel like they have to answer a thousand questions about it before they can get going. So um, it is really good to see this uh, move towards um, function uh, rather than um, sort of retaining these uh, service names. And let's not forget that the other half of these new integrations is into email, into Outlook. So just in the same way that we've got Teams appearing as a personal app experience, um, you know, with these communities, we've got a new little button appearing in the left rail of the Outlook web client that exposes exactly the same thing. So I'm not browsing out of Outlook really to see see these communities um, waving in. There's actionable messages in in response to Yammer communications that come in in and out of your inbox now. So again, Microsoft are making the rough edges of switching between these platforms a lot smoother for the average employee. So they become a channel that's now really appropriate for an internal communicator to kind of look at as a, a valid channel. I don't like the fact that on my Yammer, I'm sorry, my community view in Exchange Online, I said it says inbox and it's not my email inbox, but we'll get there. <laughs> I think that's a fair point. And it's interesting, isn't it? I think um, I absolutely am in, in agreement with Wes that having um, greater ubiquity, you know, everything is right there and you can dive into to what you need when you need it. I think that's a very strong story and it's better to have a more integrated service experience. But I do wonder, um, given an Outlook now um, does allow you to jump into other services. Uh, what's happening to that narrative that Microsoft uh, were giving, you know, 12 months ago about Teams being the single, the main UI um, for your Office 365 services? That feels a little bit diluted when we're also seeing um, all these services being integrated in Outlook, for example, doesn't it? Well, I, I mean, I think the changes are for the better, but I do wonder what whether they've just had a change in marketing strategy there I don't, I don't i don't think it really matters which which app is open um from an employee's point of view a huge amount of employees still rely upon outlook for their communications you, you know there, there is a swing to these millions upon millions of active users a month um especially with the retirement of skype for business because there is no choice anymore it's you're on teams or you're not um so I, I see it's a good thing. I think, you know, catch people where they are is is a good mantra. It's always worked really well. It's like, if it, you know, don't force them to go somewhere because you'll find much more resistance and give them options to enter the, enter the platforms as they see fit. Um, you know, maybe one day we'll see SharePoint pages in, in Outlook, uh, you know, as, as tabbed resources through, through an email conversation. 
no, no idea if that'll ever happen, but it would be, you know, it would be the natural evolution that the, the blurry lines between these things get, get even more tightly integrated. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's interesting for um, uh, a business that's looking at the feature set that's in the desktop clients versus the web version of Outlook. Um, I mean, I've single-handedly, uh, well, sorry, I've, um, I only use the, the Outlook client uh, in the web browser. I've, I've not even got Outlook installed on my desktop and haven't had for, for years now. And it's to get these innovations as soon as they come out because you can, you can get a lot of, of valuable sort of efficiencies in dealing with some of those email communications and how, how files are linked in and all that kind of stuff. So again, when you see these innovations, it does just add, you know, add reinforcement to this idea of like, if you just go cloud native and everything's in the browser, you know, Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, start using those, you know, just see how far you can get through your average working day without the other things. I think the other big shift we're going to see as a result um, of, of these sort of inter tighter integrations um, is almost a hard shove towards um, information architecture design um, that's around uh, tasks rather than, um, you know, published content and then communities, uh, which, um, you know, a lot of people in, in the ecosystem uh, are still doing. Uh, because to, to your, your, your points was, um, on the basis that everything is everywhere all of the time, Time. Um, the only logical way to bring sense to that is to ask, what are you doing? Uh, what are you trying to do? And then threading together the right experiences to uh, to make sense of that. Um, I do think that the, one of the big positives about this is, is a nail in the coffin for those very old fashioned sort of intranets and portal projects that you see where, uh, you know, the person leading the program was sort of saying, oh, you know, Yammer's next. It's different. It's separate. Or, you know, Teams, uh, that's that's different again. Uh, I think it will certainly put an end, end to that. Um, and, you know, it, it will require a different approach from practitioners and organizations looking to um, roll out, uh, for example, an intelligent intranet now um, because they can't avoid these other services. They do need to be considered from uh, the, uh, the very early stages of the project. Um, how's that been working out in the field? It's resonating really well. I mean, I had a, a, a you know a very complex customer we were working with uh, a few weeks ago who, you know, from a project delivery process point of view, had sat sat back and and done what was you know fairly normal. They had said, right, we're deploying Teams, we're deploying SharePoint, we're not going to do Yammer yet because we haven't got resources to do it. Once you reposition that and you say, have you got some communities? Yes. How are they talking to each other? Or oh, they have they have the need to have some conversations, but we don't know what to use. We're going to create a team. How many people do you expect to be in that community? Oh well, you know, twenty five thousand. Okay, so then we're starting to talk about the conversational value of that twenty five thousand people getting together. Yammer just happens to be a better platform than the Teams option because the way that it provides its UX. So so you're right. The, there's a big shift certainly in the last seven or eight months in my, my, my hands-on experience of organizations really just adjusting to the fact that, yeah, they're in the cloud a bit more now than they were a year and a half ago. They've been forced to be for, for, for the obvious reasons. And now they're working out, it's like, okay, we, 
because we just slid the bar and we ran and we turned teams on, you know, it hasn't solved every problem. It's not the right thing to solve every problem. It's, you know, it's not the universal hammer to hit every nail. The community aspect is being built up. Um, but I'm seeing new challenges like the, the fact that communities is more than conversation. And, you know, so although it centers around it, it is more. And does the SharePoint team site associated with the Yammer group facilitate the things that the community owners want? In my current experience, no, it doesn't because it's open, free for all. Anyone can create. There's other things you need to think about in your information architecture. Lots to think about, but we'll have to move the conversation on uh, and I'm sure we'll uh, revisit uh, exactly that conundrum in, in future podcasts. So um, questions uh, and answers uh, are now being made available in Microsoft Teams meeting and it's going to be possible to add either an open or moderated um, uh, Q&A to any Teams meeting. So. Um, on the surface of it, uh, th this is a really, really great step forward. Um, Organisers and those presenting are able to mark best answers, filter responses, uh, moderate and dismiss questions, um, and to, to pin posts. It feels like a really good news story. Um, what are your thoughts? Live meetings have been resurrected is my initial thought, right? So uh, long, long time ago before Heck, before Skype, I think they had a, a meeting service that allowed for this kind of thing. And it's it's long overdue. And again, just like communities are bringing into Yammer because I have users in Yammer. Now, if I'm going to be having a, a meeting with a large group, it'd be nice to let, you know, have someone moderate that. I don't want, you know, people waving hands or raising hands or talking over on top of each other. I want to have something more moderated or, or so this is long overdue. Great to see it finally coming and so they're calling it the Q&A app, but I, that's how I envision this is really just to have a, a moderated presentation and sorely missed for a long time. I was going to say, you're going back to the days we used to use this to do this, this community development <coughs> kit, which is back in like, I don't know, what, 20, no, 2007, well, yeah. 2008. I wow. am an old man, remember? I'm still <laughs> running the Outlook client, you know, not that web thing. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't get the emails, Paul. So That's true. <laughs> just gathers dust on the CPU, right? So well, it's all good. Okay. Um, right. Moving swiftly on. Um, the public preview of SharePoint Framework 1.13 has been announced uh, with Viva Connections extensibility. Um, for those that tune into the podcast, uh, we've talked at length about Viva Connections, uh, what it is and, and the benefits of that service. Um, but for those that are perhaps uh, less familiar, um, it's uh, worth a quick recap uh, in as far as it effectively can bring your intelligent intranet into the team surface. Um, you can pick Pick an icon, it's in your left-hand rail, uh, which means that you can very easily uh, get to that SharePoint intranet from Teams. In addition to that, uh, there is a um, navigation panel uh, on the left that will give you your files, uh, your sites, um, and really deliver a very personalized view on uh, your uh, your own technology um, estate. So with that in mind, um, SharePoint uh, Framework 1.13 um, with Microsoft Viva Connections extensibility support, what can we expect from that? Well, there's a couple of places to start with this. Firstly, it's really awesome to see them using .13. 
instead of jumping to dot 14. I giggle, but <laughs> numerically it's next. Often, often the uh, North American part of the world don't, don't like the number 13. Um, the, the other kind of things that uh, I think a real sort of hat tip to the SPFX team is that as promised, they are now releasing these features into a beta branch of the SharePoint framework, allowing you early error access um, to non-production ready um, experiences. And I, and I mean, you know, these things are fairly well baked and, and working, but they are still a preview. It's giving you early access um, to this aspect. So those are, those are kind of two, two fun moments in, in this onboarding. But what does 13 really give us um, over and above 12.1? Well, it gives us the ability to extend Viva connections in an area um, that is a dashboard. So there's a new experience available now, which is a dashboard experience. So think of the Windows 8 start screen, you know, that traditional uh, sets of square boxes of various sizes with the little snippets of information on, and you're getting close to that experience of what the new dashboard feels like. It's a square responsive to its format size set of tiles that you can interact with or consume content from um, to give you uh, tools at your fingertips. And it, and it kind of, it will be interesting to see how it plays out in a desk-based worker role that's looking at an intranet page of how, how valuable the dashboard as, an, as a, a sort of self-contained experience plays out. But if you think about the first line worker, this experience will be really strong because that's a skew that is targeted specifically for those that don't sit at desks or use shared hardware infrastructure, mobile phones, tablet sizes, and having buttons and information feeding through that you can quickly access systems and, you know, whether that's stock inventory, you know, call the cleaner because there's a spill in the aisle, book myself, check myself in and check myself out on a, you know, a workday platform whatever those bits are, those integrations to this kind of dashboarding experience are, are going to prove valuable to, to an organization. So it's it's a new experience in Viva that really brings apps to life uh, on, a, on a surface area. So Paul, is this um, the adaptive cards moment? We all well, laugh because Paul's been obsessed with them since the moment they were created and every single conversation we have at in 365 about product development seems to involve adaptive cards, doesn't it, Paul? <laughs> well, I stopped bringing it up. I just use it without telling you. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so for the developers in the crowd, it, it sort of kind of is. Um, I, I, could, I could wax on like an old man forever on this topic. But yes, the idea here is if, for, if you have a set of information you want to get in front of, a community of people, you can write just a, a code that will generate the data and give it to the Viva Connections app, and it will use the, the technology to render it as appropriate. And these cards can be targeted by groups. We used to call it audience targeting back in, in the SharePoint world. So if I have a a collection of people in a community or what we call an active directory group, I can say this card belongs is relevant to that group. So to Wes's point of view, if you if you're an hourly employee and you need to check in and check out, you'll see the card. If you're a salaried employee and you don't need to check in and check out, perhaps we won't show that card to that group of users. So it, it offers a lot of a lot of capabilities for developers to go through and say, here's what I need to show folks. And it can be it can be like a dashboard reporting numbers or it can have buttons to be actionable. So yeah. whatever you whatever you need. I, I, 
And and are there any UI limitations? Because I know that certainly in um, a lot of the early GIFs that Microsoft um, uh, have have released, uh, you know, that that dashboard uh, experience for the mobile app for Viva Connections, you know, they do look like square boxes. So uh, is the UI still going to be limited? Well, yes and no. The the on the dashboard again, it is an adaptive card that Microsoft has created, and they have buckets where you can put data. So, as a developer, I can say here, here's the data, and I let the Viva Connections app render it because it will figure out if it's mobile or a, a small tablet or a big, you know, thirty inch screen, and it render accordingly. But I can put a button on that dashboard card. And when I tap the button, it'll then open a, a bigger experience that lets me do some more customization. Or I can actually say launch a new window, a browser tab, if you will. And now I'm full screen immersive in my app. So it, again, it's it's that whole abstracting. What does what is, what is my users need to see? I can give a, a little quick hit of what they need. And from there, they can drill in as necessary. Super. Well, um, I'm sure we'll uh, visit and dive into uh, what the market produces with this new extensibility framework uh, in coming sessions. Um, And that's not uh, the only uh, new development capability from Microsoft over the last couple of weeks. Um, The broadcast development kit for Microsoft Teams um, has been uh, released. Um, Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so you've probably seen this, at least certainly in, in, in America, we, we've seen it a lot behind the scenes. And so, in, in fact, during the pandemic, how many news broadcasts have you seen where there's a speaker in some type of communication thing? And, and maybe there's a little icon on the upper right that had the old Skype logo and, and so on. So part of this is the ability for someone who's broadcasting something in Teams to, to monitor and enhance the display. So I can use these kits to put my corporate logo on there if I'm a television network. I can also um, uh, have more control of multiple feeds coming in, right? So perhaps I want to see uh, you know, a split screen experience, but this is kind of builds upon the things that we've seen around the together mode, which is probably more relevant for, for our audience. So perhaps you, there's abilities not point and click somewhere. And I, and I don't remember off the top of my head, but I can upload a new image and say, this image is my together mode screen and, and put the, the faces in certain places. So this kind of builds a, in a way for you to customize the experience as you're quote broadcasting from a team's you know, camera, the, uh, the the talkers in Teams and how do I make it look to my users? So interesting to see how, how yeah. folks will extend that. Uh, I mean, you, you say um, perhaps, uh, you know, slightly less relevant um, and you're quite right. You know, uh, most organizations are not the NBA, they're not NFL. Um, but saying that um, we do talk to lots of organizations, especially very recently, who are now saying we're going to start doing in-person events again. We want to um, broadcast those to capture the audience that might still prefer to stay at home than meet in person. How can we do that? Um, And we've had two very, very different clients, uh, one a hospital and one a financial services organization, quite literally in the last last two weeks, um, uh, ask us that. So uh, is this the capability um, to step in and, and, and meet that need? I think it can be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a broadcast professional and the network diagram that they have on here is really complicated. But think of it as just all the all the ports and plugs that you might need to to make the presentation look exactly the way you want 
whether it's an in-person, e- even in a meeting in which you're talking in person, but you want you have some recording that you want to show, right? I want to play a video from something. It, it, it's a much smoother experience. It, it can be a much smoother experience. I think I think there's some. Hopefully, we're going to see some really quite exciting innovations based off the back of this availability. I mean the the very clever MBA audience implementation um, is is a great example of how a technology like Teams empowered people to be at the venue. Um, but you know, I can see this. I can see this um, also working really well in you know large transit hubs. So, you know, we, we, you go through an airport in the UK, certainly, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the world, but you often see flat surfaces with those like old style ceiling projectors projecting, you know, a human being giving you instructions about how to board the transit vehicle. Um, it, you know, you take that way beyond where it is today and you start being able to um broadcast a real in-person human into multiple physical locations in a large concourse and allow people to interact with them and see the conversations that are going on and combine that with, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality scenarios with um, some of the clever things that, that Azure are doing. I think I think this, you know, it, it, it's a bit like the fluid framework. It, it had many people looked at it and were like, well, you've already got a co-authoring surface and you're already going to take care of the first party extensibility of Teams conversations being co-authoring canvases. But there's going to be these little niche implementations that are really quite stunning. They're going to come out, you know, from left and right field and they're going to be like, oh, wow, you know, that that's now connect that, connect that and connect that together. And we've got this really amazing immersive experience that was not... F- technologically possible before these underpinning capabilities fluid frameworks in that bucket this stuff is in that bucket it's 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 potentially prime time is only going to be certain certain things and places that it's going to make sense but in two years from now we'll be looking back and going well wow if that you know that's just taken for granted that we've got this communications platform that we can inject an experience into and put it on a surface that somebody didn't expect us to put it on um and and you know that's cool i mean there, there was there was that example i saw where some of the u.s football stadiums you can kind of stand in front of a massive screen and pretend that there are players that come in behind you put their arms around you get your photo imagine the players were real like and they're being filmed live rather than it being a pre-canned thing you know, that just, again, adds to an immersive experience that's possible with this sort of technology. If you have a, or a company or you have a physical plant and you have a kiosk, it, that screen could not look like what you see on TV is basically with the, the capabilities. And who knows what folks will come up with? I'm sure the advertisers have plenty of ideas, but you can really there's a lot you can do here. We, we've got a, a little uh, POC happening at the moment called Paul in person. So there's a <laughs> spare desk just off to my left and we've got a little screen and Paul now will be full six foot height when he talks to us on teams. So yeah, you can definitely innovate. It will potentially also change uh, the way that organizations choose to run booths and things like that at events. Um, so I, I think there's definitely a lot more to come here though. Uh, you know, certainly uh, an innovative with a big eye uh, organization um, to, to or organizations to, to lead the way with this. Cause obviously anything that involves real people in a real event, 
um, whether it's a um, uh, you know an in-person conference or simply a, a booth at a, at an event in in a hall. Um, you know the, these are already complex, um, you know, highly charged uh, moments without the the layering on of uh, this sort of uh, technology capability. But of course, done right uh, to your point, Wes, it can deliver some really immersive experiences. And certainly, we've been talking about that at, at adding three six five into relation in relation to what um, some of the virtual um, reality capabilities um, have to offer as well. You know, you can also pivot this around because if I'm attending a meeting or, or answering a call on Teams app on my mobile, I can see this rich media experience, right? So the, the other part of this is I can now broadcast to every one of my users on whatever device they use, just like a video. Lots of hot stuff uh, in that one, I think. Um, right, uh, we'll, we'll close up uh, today's podcast um, with, a, with a bit of an old-fashioned topic. So um, I, I was a little taken back to see that Mark Cashman had done a post uh, at the end of July on um, the optimized SharePoint performance in Microsoft 365. And he sort of um, talks about the fact that scalability and security um, when it comes to working on documents and sites and integrated emails and so on is so much better than it used to be. And I laughed a little bit because I was like, yes, I remember when, you know, VPOS pages wouldn't load and things like that. But that's a long, long time ago. Uh, and then I realized that actually um, I, I was taken back because generally performance with um, services like uh, SharePoint or Teams is, is not something you really need to think too much about. Um, so what, what what's behind this article? Why are we talking about it? So, so I have a hunch. And, and again, this is just Paul remembering the old days. So there was a large, large effort from Microsoft and a whole team that was engaged to help connect organizations to their closest access point of the Microsoft network, right? So if I have a large building and hundreds and or thousands of people in this building, I'd want to get them connected to the Azure network as close as physically close as possible as I could so that I could improve performance for all those users that are in that building. Well, guess what? There aren't that many users in the building now. They're at their homes. And so all that conversation still is relevant. It's just that the people listening is you know, Joe behind some ISP modem that does good or bad, who knows what it's doing. And so I think that's it might be a heads up to say, hey, if, if you're an organization and you've routed all your traffic through this Azure network port close to my building, maybe you should figure out a way to or you know, route that traffic differently so that users across the country, across the world have Good performance. Who I, I see this now occasionally when I connect to a tenant. The Adam three six five tenant is based in North in West Europe, and I'm in the U.S. So I do see a little delay. I, it's not something that's going to impact my day, but I can imagine it being worse if I didn't have good internet. Yeah, I think it's um, it still shocks me how many how many companies will make you VPN into their corporate network before allowing you access directly to Office three six five. And that is that is definitely a substandard performance um, experience considering you could just connect to your home Wi-Fi and go to another tenant and it would be blisteringly fast. I, I think I think you're right, Paul. I think the you know the the hybrid work now and 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 home internet connections and, and remote um, connectivity and all that kind of stuff, there are so many entry points onto the back plane that that as Microsoft call it, the first mile. Um, that the last mile is has been important. But I but I think you know the the 
probably under the bonnet finally catching up with some of the technical debt that, that they inherited from an on-prem designed platform. I mean, if you, may, you and I know the horror stories of, of, of early, early, early SharePoint and the way that the databases were structured. It will take years to unpick some of those things at the scale they now run just because they can't take advantage overnight of, of, of turning from one underlying platform to another and the way that the you know files are stored and network topology. I mean, as, as the article describes, you know, Microsoft spent billions of dollars in researching how to make network switches faster. And I know um, I've been to a, a, a session at Cambridge Research, which is a Microsoft facility. And I, I was presenting, I was, I was presented to about, you know, nanotechnology on these switch levels. And it's mind blowing that somebody thinks about all of these things and how, you know, fast routing of network traffic, but at hyperscale, when you're dealing with billions and billions of, of, of requests into these services, every little millisecond, microsecond, whatever counts into that experience. And then, you know, we, we right on the top of that have to think about page structure, length of page, and you're still going to get the person that uploads the 35 megabyte image to the top header and kills all the performance improvements. So it's, it's in, you know, it's again, it's always this multifaceted, get the performance to be where it needs to be. There's lots of things that you can do uh, as a, just as a content owner. Um, but we saw like page level improvements as well, um, where now you might notice that not every web part loads into a page as you load the page. You know, it's only the visible web parts. Now, that can lead to some strange behaviors at times when, in the sense of if you had a web part that was further down the page that was connected to the one above it, that connection's not live until that web part comes into, into play. So sometimes, you know, if you've got a very complex dashboard, you have to think about ordering the web parts in the right way. But for the average content author who goes in and slams in a couple of images, a bit of embedded video, some text, and a bit of layout, you know, that page is now lightning fast compared with what it was five years ago. Um, it's mobile friendly. It streams correctly. You know, it, all of these great improvements just mean that, you have to go a long way to make that a poor experience. You actually do. You have to really be the other side of the world for it to be noticeable. And as Paul says, you know, as is data centered in, in Western Europe, he's out in, in the middle of the US. It's noticeable, but it doesn't impact his ability to do day-to-day -day work. And, and, you know, we have customers that have got APAC hosted tenants that work in London. Yes, you'll, you'll know it's different to a West European one, but it's still totally usable, which five years ago, you'd have been, wow, we need a local farm and we need local staff and we need to local, 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 because it would just be like waiting 30 seconds. Um, so, yes, yeah, it, I mean, it's good. It's really great insight. I love when I love when the Microsoft product teams lift the covers on some of the innovations that you just don't see, you don't necessarily know about. You know, it's a bit like car manufacturers explaining how their batteries work you know it's actually intriguing all the things they consider i mean nasa did a brilliant one total tangent nasa did a brilliant one about why the mars rovers are designed with the wheels in the structure they are and they did a, about a 15 minute video of showing you how a one-wheeled thing can't climb this and a four-wheeled thing falls over in that thing and eventually you get to the mars rover design and it can go up and down and fall over and itself right and they go through that and to see people lift the covers on these engineering things as a as a proper techie nerd i get really excited by that sort of stuff so this these you sort took of the words great. right out of my mouth and um <laughs> 
on on that note we're going to have to close out uh, this month's podcast thank you Wes thank you Paul uh, and we hope all of our listeners have a wonderful summer The New Habits Podcast is produced by Ed in 365 thank you to Victor Villain for participating please leave a review in iTunes along with a five star rating we appreciate your support thank you for listening